Whoever said love was complicated wasn't lying. Whoever said love is too complicated was a little misguided. Love is too wonderful and precious to be labeled as simple. There's nothing simple about love. Too complicated though? I disagree. I think it's complicated enough to understand there's layers but not too complicated to stop you from trying. Welcome back to the Shatner Breathe Podcast, episode 11. I'm Sean, and as always, I wholeheartedly want to thank you for being here. Today's episode is It's Okay to Love, where we get into the world of love and expand on what was talked about in episode 7 some. Episode 7 was titled Monopoly of Love and Intimacy, where we talked about the differences and similarities between monogamous and polyamorous relationships. We also dove into when a friendship can develop into a physical one and the importance of context. I took the idea that sex ruins friendships and applied a bit of personal insight to make something that many see as cut and dry and revealed how it's much more vague than a box in generalization. So if you're new here and you would be interested in that, please feel free to go back and give episode 7 a listen. I'd like to start this episode with love itself. I've said it many times, I love love, I really do, and sometimes I do ask myself why I'm so repetitive with that statement. I feel it's possibly because I see so often such negative outlook on love, or more so the lack of true love or being unattainable. The idea that true love is only movies or TV shows. I not only don't believe that, I know for a fact that's not true. I've felt true love. I've given it. I've received it. You can see it. The way people look at each other. The way people talk about each other. The way people are committed to each other. Whatever their bounds of commitment are. As we went over in episode 7, it's not the same for everyone. You can see it though. You can feel it. To claim that love doesn't exist or that no real life situation can meet the pedestal shown to you by Hollywood is both wrong and setting yourself up to except less than. You're honestly setting yourself up to continuously be given those these poor examples that have jaded you into thinking that way. There's a large there's a large ocean sized canvas worth of telling waves that cause that sort of mindset. One thing I'm always trying to better instill in myself is to try and understand before I overbear. My gut instinct when I hear something like love is a joke or you only you only ever have yourself, you'll always get used, is seeing them as a bitter and angry person. That's often my initial thought of them, depending of course how they say it. If they say it with a soft, defeated tone, I'll more so see them as sad or betrayed. But if they say it with that loud, obnoxious tone, I'll probably think they're just asking for that response from people. That's all initial, though. We all have an initial response that's not necessarily our core, but it's our raw reaction based on our current mood, environment, and perception. That's why the saying, think before you speak, exists. Oftentimes, When you don't think before you speak, you risk a high chance of making something worse than making it better. When it comes to something as beautiful and life-changing as love, I'd rather people gravitate towards mending that tear, not ripping it further. Regardless of the initial reaction, though, it all comes down to the understanding that there's a reason that they feel that way. You get nowhere in life by just invalidating feelings and opinions. If a person feels as if love is a joke or non-existent, there's a reason they feel that way, and at times they may seem too difficult or stubborn to even find out why they feel that way. They're in the same boat as those looking in. They feel how they feel, and it doesn't matter how others feel about it. It's why it always helps to think before you speak. 
Two unfiltered people going back and forth is a recipe for disaster when it comes to serious discussion. Also, I'm by no means telling you that it's okay to pry and try to insert yourself into the reasoning uninvited. If they don't want to talk about it, they don't have to. They don't have to talk about it. That's their personal business. If you do find yourself in a situation where this sort of thing comes up, however, try to approach it with a sense of open-mindedness and be willing to listen, not just speak. Remember, there's a reason for these feelings. The first reason that comes to mind, I'd assume for you all as well, is toxic or immature relationships. That one relationship, or those many relationships that just broke your heart and stomped on the pieces. A bad or even toxic relationship can provide a person with a severe case of what I'll call connection dysphoria. We get involved in a relationship most of the time because we find ourselves drawn to another. We fall in love. We have this sense of obsession with this person, and we grow closer to them. And so there's this organic formation of trust with them. So you have this bond with this person, and they start to use that bond for their benefit. The long walks where you would talk to each other turn into long nights where you cry by yourself. They start using your secrets you told them about your insecurities and hardships, just using them against you to fuel the submission that they've groomed into you through convincing you that they're the one who cares about you most. Nobody will love you like they do. That's their wild card, and that's what they've been getting you to believe. It's in those situations where you'll find narcissists like you'd find flies and pig shit. They have their grubby fingers all over it. They feed off the giving and kind nature of those who love hard and freely. I call narcissists the empath's antagonist. It's one of the few types of people who I am more open to generalizing, however, I refuse to believe that they can't change. I absolutely refuse to deny anybody the ability to change. Because when you tell somebody they can't change, you're giving them all the reason they need not to even try. I will also say though, I don't believe it to be impossible, but a narcissist changing isn't exactly a common occurrence. And if it does happen, that is not likely to happen overnight. The term, they'll change for the right person, or they'll change for the right situation, comes to mind. The two are not mutually exclusive, however, it's very relatable. Sometimes the driving force for those who stay in toxic relationships is their belief that they're going to change. If they just stay longer, they'll do better. If They'll become better. They'll start loving you again. They'll start caring about you again. How sad and heartbreaking is that statement? The idea that a person, a person who's day in and day out has given the other nothing but love and devotion, feeling as if they still need to do more, while the other honestly couldn't seem to care any less. That's not a happy life. That's not a healthy environment. That's a combination of a big heart and fear. What would they fear? Could be many things. One common trait is they fear that they're not going to find somebody to love them like who they're with now does. In fact, they'll still have themselves convinced they're loved by that person. Or it could be the opposite. Maybe they're afraid they won't find somebody they love as much as this person. We almost all know that feeling. That feeling that we can never possibly love somebody even more than we love in a person right now. A lot of people learn that's not true when they have their first child, or maybe even their first niece or nephew. It was my nephew Lucas for me. I never realized how much I could love another human being I had just met so quickly. Somebody so little. My nephew Cole reminded me of that feeling when he was born. 
I love them both equally, of course. It's just that sometimes love is so intense that it it can make us feel we'll never be able to have such an amazing sense of care and adoration as we may have now. But that's just an example of how the heart doesn't work like that. Love doesn't work like that. It's why a parent can have many kids while loving each and every one of them just as much and intensely as the others. It's why they can still love their partner just as much if not more than before having kids. It's why we can still love our parents, siblings, cousins, friends while we also have our personal lives and even small families of our own. All different situations but it's all love. Love is not restrictive or exclusive. Love is love. That's not to discredit the person or people you love now by no means. If it comes across that way, perhaps that's our own mind registering the exact feeling of limitations. Limitations that aren't there naturally. Back to what I was saying though, perhaps they have a fear of being alone and it enhances these previously mentioned fears to cause them to cling tighter to the relationship. It's like the saying, I'd rather feel pain than feel nothing at all. I do agree that pain is there to remind you that you're alive. However, seeking out abuse, either mentally, emotionally, physically, or all three, isn't a healthy or wise choice of finding a sense of life or belonging. That's not a way to live, that's a way to watch yourself die. I hate being so grim and definite about it, but that's truly what I fear is the potential status of those who allow themselves to be treated poorly to substitute for loneliness. Just for the record now, when it comes to some people who settle for abuse of different fashions, some people out there are masochists, and I'm not kink-shaming here. That's a whole other animal, though. I'm not getting into that on this one, but I felt it's important to clarify for any masochist listening. You do your thing. You deserve love, too. Very much so. The unfortunate, disgusting, and oftentimes long-term effect left on those who deal with those binding toxic relationships is even worse because it almost sets them up for a continued fate. You would think it would do the opposite. Going through something like that to only go through it again would seem almost as if they're asking for it. The truth is though, as clear as that is, it's not so clear when you're in that situation and have been conditioned to think that's the normal or perhaps the majority of what to expect. It's hard to find the ability to have hope for better when you've only been given the examples of the worst. It leaves you with a sour taste in your mouth, and sadly because you're in this space of not trusting the attracted sex, the same things that worked for you, that worked for getting you with those in your past are so the same things working to get you with the next one. It works that way because you've been too boxed in to find new attractions and rhythms that you're forced to remain with the same triggers of interest. These manipulators, these users, will do everything in their power to convince you that you won't find any better because they will try and instill in you that you don't deserve any better. They shower you with just enough to get you clean but not enough to feel clean. They will spoil you for a day so they can hold it over you for a week. They will either subtly or blatantly discourage your passions, your goals, desires, halting and crippling your potential in order to keep you from growing. They know what you don't. They know how fragile their ceiling is. And they're afraid of your strength because they've studied you while you adored them. And that's not your fault. It's hard to think rationally during a race when you're head over heels at the start. We can't change the past though, we can only use it to guide the future. For many I believe it starts even sooner than their first relationship with a bad person. 
Yes, there are some very bad people who are very good at hiding it, but they're not all so stealthy. Hell, some are on full display at the start, but you have those who are, as they say, attracted to the bad boys or bad girls, the rebel appetite, the lust for danger. Where does that come from? Where does this drive for a challenge in people or weakness for control come from? Another disclaimer, one form of of having want for control is those who are submissive. That's something I will require uh, its own episode for. An episode I plan on doing soon, actually, but this ain't it. So I'm going to focus more on those who aren't necessarily submissive, but just find themselves in that state of submission in that state of acceptance. You have the popular suspect of family life. Those who've had childhoods where they were missing something. One of those things being good examples of interaction. I touched on it before with kids being involved. Perhaps the reason some find themselves almost destined to be in a hard or even toxic relationship is because they've witnessed that firsthand. When we're young and in a household with two involved guardians, we're being presented with examples every day. For the sake of examples, we'll go with the household with both parents there. However, it's easily applicable to any household with two guardians who were together. You may not realize you're paying as close attention as you are, but you're seeing how they treat each other. You're seeing their little gestures, the way they look at each other. You're watching each time they hold each other's hand, touch their lower back, kiss their cheek, their forehead, their lips. You're watching their love, as well as, unfortunately, their hostility if there is. You're witnessing their arguments, them ignoring each other. You're witnessing all these disrespectful all this disrespectful behavior. I find it hard to believe that that plays little part on the way people conduct their own relationships. It can be just as harmful to those who perhaps didn't grow up with any example at all, or solely bad ones. Thank God there are wonderful people out there who are single parents but show their children the love and examples they need be it by themselves or through who they allow in their and their children's lives. It's a sad reality though that some children aren't as fortunate. Some children grow up with a single parent, a single guardian who ends up giving their child a version of what's normal and when they grow up it's not uncommon for them to accept that pattern. That's not to say it's guaranteed toward a similar future, it does happen though. All that being said, there's plenty of other reasons people can form these low standards of how to be treated. There is no one singular problem. It can be caused by so many. It's worth noting that the things we deal with, both bad and good, are what builds us up. It's what builds us and makes us who we are. So please tell me, when the person we become is based on the world we're forced to see, who is it for anybody who's had the luxury of witnessing better to tell somebody who's witnessed worse how they should feel? I ask that because the core of this entire conversation is understanding. Understanding how some may find their sense of negative outlook on the word or idea of love as well as understanding when you fortunately didn't have those experience how important it is to be understanding to those who have. Whether it may have started at home or through first-hand experience in a less than ideal situation, you have valid reasons to feel the way you feel. My standpoint on the topic, however, is you may feel how you feel but you can't speak for everyone. I look at it like this. You can't speak for everyone any more than anybody who doesn't understand your journey can speak for you. Situations aren't the same for everyone. Experiences aren't the same for everyone. People often try to point the blame 
on love when it's not a love issue, it's a people issue. There's no reason to talk down on love when it was a person that hurt you. I think it's easier for some people to just present themselves as anti-love than it is for them to face the truth. The truth being this deep, layered way of life that once realized can be an overwhelming acceptance. It has to be difficult not only realizing that you've been shaped into thinking you don't deserve better, but also getting flashbacks of all the things that led you to be so negatively shapeable. Even after you realize it, realizing why you feel so hesitant, or even refusing the idea of there being people who want to treat you better. Sometimes you just aren't willing to admit you were wrong about that. Chalk it up to maybe ego for some, but pain for others. It could be many things. The truth is, though, that love isn't the cause of your problems. It sounds to me like the absence of love is. Love doesn't hurt. The only way I could see thinking love hurting is when we lose those we love. But that's not the love that's causing you pain. The situation is causing you pain. Love is what makes that pain worth it. One of my favorite songs ever is Garth Brooks's The Dance. If you haven't heard it before, I would hope you give it a listen now. The, the song is about losing those we love. It can be towards a breakup or losing them through them passing. In the song, there's a powerful line where he says, I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. The dance is love. The pain is the pain. We've all lost somebody we love. We all have. But can you honestly tell yourself that you'd rather have not known that love just so you could avoid the pain? I don't think you could. I couldn't. It wasn't love that caused the pain. It was a situation. Love, again, is what makes the pain worth it. The good, the smiles, the care, the kindness, the touching, the warm stares. That's love. That's love. Having talked about the dance, I mentioned it could be towards a breakup as well. Not all relationships that fail are due to toxic behavior. Sometimes things just don't work out. It could be because they just don't sink anymore. Maybe somebody's feelings changed. There could have been cheating. Somebody may have had a problem and there was an ultimatum given where the relationship didn't survive the choice. There are a wide range of reasons why relationships sometimes don't work. What interests me, however, is the common feeling of hostility after it ends. I know a lot of times it's warranted, especially when the relationship ended on bad terms. I'm not saying everything is all sunshine and rainbows. I understand very well how a relationship can end on bad terms. I've been there. I've been cheated on. I've been lied to. And I've ended involvements over some negative things. Of course, at those times, they made me angry. I'm not saying you should never be angry. I'd be a hypocrite if I said that. What I'm getting at, though, is how people will not get angry, but stay angry. And I'm not speaking for everyone. There, there are certain circumstances where it's understandable if you never forgive that person for something. You can use your imagination for what those circumstances are. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the majority of relationships that end. There comes a time where I just don't personally understand why people hold on to that animosity. Granted, it's none of my business. Let's not pretend that it is. I'm just coming from a place of curiosity and understanding. I look at it like this. If you were in the relationship to begin with, you must have been attracted to them 
and you must have loved them or at least had some sort of had some form of adoration towards them. I'm talking about actual relationships too. I'm not not sugar groupies looking for handouts. Not throwing shade either. Consenting adults want that sort of thing, then you do you. I'm talking about actual love based relationships here though. Having an end good, bad, or indifferent, at one point you really liked this person and were very attracted to them. What sort of makes me laugh is when the relationship is over, all of a sudden they're ugly and stupid and all this and that. Which, hey, we just went over sometimes you do realize something late and you could very well have this newfound view of them. The thing is, though, people will be on this hate train just to do it. I think it's become the societal norm to people that you don't have to but are expected to hold this antisocial negative rapport with your exes. Which hey, if they harmed you, manipulated you, anything like that, I'm not condemning your feelings. I'm strictly talking about people just feeling this hostile way and projecting it publicly just because they feel it's cool to or the accepted thing to do. I've talked about it many times through the course of this podcast that I value connection and I would rather not burn any bridges. I don't have to. Part of being an adult and being understanding is realizing that sometimes two people just don't work out with each other. It doesn't always have to end badly or on, on angry terms. I spoke in episode 7 how I don't claim that once I get into a new relationship that the other women in the world become ugly. Well, once I leave a relationship, I don't magically see my ex as ugly either. Even if she did something hurtful at the end of the relationship, if it wasn't something she did throughout or made a habit of it before that point, I don't see her as a bad person or stupid either. She may have just made a stupid mistake. A mistake that ended our relationship, but a mistake nonetheless, and a stupid one. It doesn't make her stupid, though. That's just how I try to view people. Not just one action or behavior, but all of them. A person's fabric is defined by their pattern, not the edges. I think there would be a healthier landscape of human understanding if one step that was made was people, more people being civil with their exes. Whether you're single or with somebody new. I don't try to pretend the woman I'm with doesn't have a past. I'm well aware that she's probably loved another man romantically before me. She's been attracted to other men before me, has had sex with other men before me. I also have no desire to punish her for that. Like really think about that, there's people who will use a person's past against them or try and act like it's non-existent. If you want a healthy mature relationship, you need to be okay with the fact that unless one or both of you were virgins when you got together they've had sex with other people and they may still have some sort of relationship with that person or persons some people honestly find out through a bad romantic relationship that they're better off as friends they love each other they do have an attraction towards each other and they're important to each other however they tried to date and it just wasn't right they fought, they had trust issues, they were distant. Whatever the case may be, as a romantic unit, it just wasn't right. They break up and stay connected and they're good again. That's just how it works sometimes, which is fine. Now there enters a new person into the picture that one of them connects with and a new relationship forms and they start dating. Should that friendship now be limited or even eliminated now? because they've tried dating before they've had sex maybe you feel differently but I certainly don't find it to be that fair or even reasonable as long as the person isn't trying to harm the relationship where's the problem there is none if there's a problem it's in the person who has a problem with it 
why it's important to have a relationship where you can talk about these sort of feelings. An actual conversation where both talk and listen. Not, not that thing where one person feels they have the right to speak and the other should only listen. That's about the most useless form of interaction there is. It's actually surprising how many problems could be solved if there was healthy communication. One of the best examples of this is when it comes to co-parenting. Co-parenting is the game changer when it comes to two people who didn't work out but made a situation work for the sake of the kids. Sometimes you'll have those who use their kids against the other. Sadly, where all the all that does is cause heartache for them and the kids. Whereas those who find a way to co-parent successfully will provide their children with a much healthier and happier life. Of course, there are situations where one parent, or even both sometimes, aren't who's best for the kids. Unfortunately, sometimes life works out that way, but in average cases, it's always best to put whatever differences you have to the side and do what's best for the kids. I always smile when I see that sort of thing. I remember seeing a photo going around Facebook a while back where there was a family at a soccer game, I think. The family all had jerseys with the little girl's number on the back of them. And there were ones that said mommy, daddy, but then there was also stepmommy and stepdaddy. It was just so cute to see. Things like that are really beautiful. I know it's hard for any child when their parents split up. And now all of a sudden there's two homes. They have two separate rooms, back and forth every week. I didn't have that experience, so I can't speak from that aspect, but it would have to be hard for any child to have that sort of life change. Can you imagine the love that child or those children feel, though, when both parents are making it work for the benefit? Two happy homes? Honestly, what a beautiful thing. I just honestly feel that you could really enhance your life if you're willing to accept that sometimes things don't work out on certain situations. Accept it, and unless there was actual toxic elements, be able to work past that bad and continue to appreciate the joy that you shared because the memories don't just go away. The feelings don't just go away. A huge part of why breakups are so hard is because you're taking all that love, lust, trust, and devotion and dumping this avalanche of anger and sadness and when you're under that much overwhelming pressure you're inclined to say and do rash things. It's natural, especially if they've done something that has truly and devastatingly hurt you. I'm not trying to tell anybody how they should feel. I'm just saying something that is really worth considering. One thing I hate is when people try to pigeonhole love. You know what I'm talking about. When people try to say things like, you're not in love unless blank, or <clears throat> if you do this, this or this, then you're not really in love. People who try and tell other people how to love. To put it out there, you could say, Sean, you just did an entire episode about love. To which, yes, yes I did. I, however, am not telling you how to love. I'm trying to explain what love is and how precious it is. I'm in no way, shape, or form trying to tell you how to express love, how to show love or apply a checklist for what love is. I'm explaining the difference between love and pain, love and heartache, love and manipulation. While doing so, encouraging you all to find love and find the love you deserve. I don't have to tell you what love is. We know what love is. Love is bliss. Love is enlightenment and joy. I'll never tell you how to love, but I'll try and make it clear that love isn't harmful or destructive. Actions can be, however. I will tell you that when you love somebody, you should know them. I will never tell you that if you don't know somebody, you don't really love them. Listen to me say it again, and please know the difference. I will tell you that when you love somebody, you should know that person. But I will never tell you that if you don't know them, that you don't really love them.
Gabby, a friend of mine, shared a post the other week. I loved it so much that I saved it in my notes to share in this episode. I talked about this subject matter already earlier in the episode, but I'd like to read it now and express my take on it because it really is important. The post said this. My homeboy said his girl always says no when he asks her if she needs anything. I'm like, bro, you can never ask an independent woman if there's anything she needs you to do for her. Her answer will always be no, even if there is, because her pride and her self-reliance is all she knows. So if you want to do something for her, you have to just do it. It will show your initiative, and it will make her more comfortable with the idea of depending on you. Do you hear how powerful that is? Those are wise words from a wise man. I read that and I felt such relief. I know for a fact there's a lot of great men out there, but sometimes life will show you a lot of the monsters, and it sometimes gets discouraging. It sometimes feels like I'm fighting an uphill battle against women who have been hurt so many times and feel as if that's just to be expected. Like that's just the standard of men these days. Then I'll read something like that, or I'll see a man somewhere opening his girl's door and making her laugh just to see her smile. That's love, man. That's love. Of course, it's not just gender-specific either. You can apply that post to a homegirl and her self-reliant, independent man. The point is the same. Sometimes life will build us to the point where it's scary to ask for help. Sometimes we don't really feel like we can or should. It's why I always try to hammer in the point that it's important to know your person. Know who they are. Know how they work. Learn their history. Study their past and trust you. And if they trust you enough to share that knowledge with you, don't make them regret it. Use it to love them harder. Not hold it against them. I laugh at the idea when people try to say that women are complicated or men are. Well, anything is complicated if you don't take the time to study and learn. It's not hard to learn about somebody that you care about, if you care about them. If it's too difficult for you to understand who you're with, it's probably a good idea to ask yourself if they're too complicated or if you're too lazy. That may come off a bit harsh, but that's toned down, really, because because I do take love seriously. I take people's hearts seriously. One of the greatest gifts you can give somebody who has lived a life of heartache is showing them genuine kindness. Showing them that they're worth the love they seek. Showing them that they can be loved and are able to love back. Showing them something better, something different, and not ending up like all the rest. It takes a lot of trust to give away a heart that's already been broken so many times. I know the common theme is to give somebody a gift that's expensive or at least something shiny and brand new. It's not like that though with people and their emotions. The greatest thing you could ever receive is somebody trusting you with their heart, especially when it's so damaged because that means... They're giving you something more than their love. They're giving you the chance to not break what's already fragile. And the greatest gift you can give them in return is, is protecting it until it heals and showing them how the past is no match for the future. I use a lot of neutral language when I speak on matters of romantic and physical love and connection because I don't want to exclude anybody. The things I talk about here are for everyone. Man and woman, man and man, woman and woman, two partners, three partners, whatever. Love is love, no matter who's who and what they have. As long as it involves consenting adults, then I have no problem with it. Love who you love and love deep. I'd also like to remind you of something else. Something I think a lot of us forget to do. Don't forget to... Don't forget to love yourself. It may come off as cliche, but I really don't care. Love yourself. If you already do, wonderful. 
If you're not sure, explore it. If you don't, please try. You're worth loving, not only from others, but from yourself. I'm not the biggest fan of when people go in and out of relationships. I know a lot of people do it. And if that's you, I'm not talking down on you. But just on a personal level, I don't like it. It's not my situation, so I don't have to like it. I'm for letting people do what they want. I'm just here to try and better understand and express my view of it. As well as understand other people's reasonings. I'll see somebody in a bad relationship finally leave that situation only to end up right into another one. It's not always bad. Sometimes people do get blessed with finding somebody good quickly. But it seems to be bad more times than not. I really think it comes down to a self-love problem. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'd love for anybody who may disagree with me to let me know. I'm not here to speak for you. I'm here to speak with you. This is just my opinion and observation. The reason I feel that way is because I feel like when people are always in a relationship, like if they can't go three months without being in one, it's because they aren't able to be by themselves. Now if that's the case, not saying it's always not saying that's always the case, but if that is the case, then I see that as a self love issue. I've had somebody tell me in a in a countering statement, I love myself just fine. I just hate being single. And alright, maybe that's true for them. Everyone is different. I just can't help but think there's a deeper issue there. Whether there is or there isn't, it's all situational and on a person-by-person basis. I still, however, want to remind you guys how important self-love is. Self-love is wanting what's best for you. Self-love is respecting yourself to get what's best for you. It's protecting your heart because you know how valuable it is. Sometimes it's hard to love ourselves if we've not had a proper example of what love is, though. Self-love is also being able to be alone in a room and not feel like you're in bad company. A huge step into finding the love you seek from another is to have a strong self. A huge step into finding the love you seek from another is to have a strong sense of love for yourself because you have. You have that instilled already, and it will be more natural to give in return. Before we wrap up this one, Valentine's Day is coming up. I didn't even plan it this way. I decided on this episode being this date weeks ago, and wasn't even thinking about the holiday. But it's interesting how God has things work out. So... If you have a special somebody in your life, please take the day and opportunity to go all out. Or even just do something small, but maybe different from the norm. Show a little extra effort to make the day a little more special. If you're single but you have your eye on somebody, then hey, ask them if they'll be your valentine. Yes, they may say no, but they might say yes. It's like they say, you miss every shot you don't take. So try... So you might as well try. Just remember to be respectful about it. Also remember this. You don't need a holiday to show the person you love just how much you love them. When you treat every day with that love and appreciation, then the holiday becomes more of a day to pay attention to others who are in love as well. I love being in love, but I love seeing love too. So it's always beautiful seeing others celebrating each other and the love that they share. So if that's you, and you share your love all year round, take the day to appreciate that in itself. Look at you both. Look at you. Look at your relationship and be thankful to share something that so many people pray for. Perhaps even yourself. There's not much better than realizing that you're living in an answered prayer. So take it in and enjoy it as well as each other. 
I'd also like to speak to those of you who maybe aren't a fan of the day. Perhaps you've had a recent bad breakup. Perhaps you had a recent bad breakup. Maybe you're currently in a relationship that you're not happy in. You may very much love them, but they don't appreciate you or they aren't there for you. Maybe you're single and frustrated by that. All of which I understand, but remember, you're wonderful. You may feel like you're, you're sinking and there's no getting out. You may feel like you're suffocating in your own desire to love and be loved. You're stronger than you think, though, and the clouds will fall. I used to feel as if being single was a bad thing. It's not. It's just a thing. You're either single or you're involved with somebody. I may not be able to speak for everyone, but I can speak for me. When I was struggling with being single, it was because I hadn't loved myself yet. I was basing my value as a person, my attractiveness, my ability to be loved, solely off the confirmation of another. Moments where I just felt like nobody wanted me in that way. I was so busy wallowing in my own self-pity and in part hurting myself for... and in part hurting for myself that I couldn't clearly realize that I was suffering because I was missing something very important. I was missing love for myself. One thing I stopped doing a long time ago was saying that I hate my life. You know how it is, something goes wrong or you're in a bad situation and you just throw your arms and say, I hate my life. I refuse to say that anymore. And I haven't for years because I may not like some situations I find myself in, but I love my life. To say I hate my life is like me telling my loved ones that having them isn't worth whatever struggle I'm dealing with. It's like that because that is how I value my life. I value it on the love I have for others and their love for me. And I was only able to understand that once I learned to love myself because, as I said in episode 7, or at least I think I did, when you love somebody, you want to see them happy and get the things they crave. When I finally was able to love myself, I wanted to see myself find peace and understanding how understanding of how blessed I really am. Once I found self-love, things just became a bit clearer for me, and you'll notice that change in understanding will project outward as well. People will notice when you're hungry for approval versus when you're hungry for a good connection. Because when you're hungry for that connection, you're not clinging to any. You've learned to realize that connections aren't forced. They're organic. You can't rush organic, and that's why it means so much more. So being single hasn't bothered me in a while. I mean, yeah, it does get lonely sometimes, and every year it does get a bit disheartening, but... I'm not going to jeopardize my own peace and the peace of another just to, set, just to soothe my loneliness. I am open to seeing where a connection can go, but if it's supposed to happen, it will happen. And it's not my place to decide when it does. I'm not pushing it too hard because, as I've said, I'm not in a place where I feel I can give all that I should give and be able to be the best I can be for them. Maybe my way of thinking is faulty also. Like I say, I don't have the answers. I'm just trying to figure it out with you. Back to the holiday. If you're not a fan of the holiday because of the current situation you're in, or perhaps maybe the love of your life has gone home to the Lord, and maybe the day cuts deeper for you, for whatever reason, you may be hurting this time of year a little more than usual. I want you to know that you deserve to smile again. You deserve to love again, and that's not discounting anybody else's love. Love doesn't have storage space. It doesn't have an expiration date outside of itself. I hope you find whatever sign or motivation you need to find that smile again. Find that will, that want to be loved, or that want to be loved and to love. Also, always remember to remind yourself that those who 
love you, want to see you happy and full of life. Nobody who truly cares about you wants you to be sad, feeling limited, feeling less than. Sacrificing your happiness because you feel like it's too late or find it or sacrificing your happiness because you feel like it's too late to find or it's wrong to find it when something tragic happens I want everyone who's listening to walk away after this episode knowing this whether you're single you're with a great person you're with a bad person you're with a good person but in a bad place you're grieving whatever it is you relate to Whatever it is you relate to, it doesn't matter. The fact is, you deserve happiness. You deserve to be loved for you, and truly deserve to love, because no matter what life throws at you, it can't deny you the power of love. It's okay to be afraid, but it's important to overcome that fear. And despite all the lies and bad moments that you may have had, don't ever let anybody or anyone, don't ever let anybody or anything deny you the truth that it is always okay to love. I thank you so much, as always, for being here. Next week's episode 12 is called Clocking Addiction, where we talk about addiction from an outsider's point of view and the many faces it takes. Also, the importance of not judging every book by its cover. You'd be surprised how much a helping hand or even a kind gesture could change somebody's life. Be sure to go like and follow the Facebook page to stay up to date with everything going on. You can find that on the link tree, backslash shatter and breathe. You can also find the shop there, so feel free to check that out as well. All that being said, I truly appreciate you being here, and I love the hell out of you. So I hope the rest of your day is as wonderful as you are. This is the Shatter and Breathe Podcast. I'm Sean, and as always, stay safe, be thankful, and God bless.